Well, that's a good promotion for the unoffendable series. Do you find that you are easily offended? (laughs) Um, All of us are going to say, no, I am not at all. Unless I'm driving and they cut me off, uh, then I am greatly offended. Uh, No, it's going to be good. I'm excited about uh, that and the teaching we're going to be doing on unoffendable. It'll start here in a few weeks. And um, also, the, uh, if you're a guest and you I want you to know that we're not holding information, we're not holding gifts hostage for information. Um, we have available to you a gift. We'd love to connect with you and uh, be able to reach out to you in the future, that kind of thing. But um, by all means, if you are a guest today, then see our, um, somebody at the coffee bar on your way out and they have a, a gift for you there. So. You know, I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like um, we're just coming back from uh, quarantine. Do you guys feel like that? Like it's been a year of quarantine and finally, here we go. Um, I remember last year we were getting ready for Easter. All the preparations had been made. We do a large Easter egg hunt here, which we again skipped this year just for safety reasons. But um, we decided to, uh, last year we had to cancel our Easter service, the, all the festivities around it, we were real sad about that. Um, you know, the, the thing about COVID, that uh, the quarantine anyway, that we all learned is um, some of us discovered the extra 15 pounds we were missing during that time. Uh, you know, it's like we went out and we were trying to find it. Where did it go? Um, looking for it. We put it all back on. And uh, I don't know if that's how you were. Now, I, I tried desperately not to, to be that guy. Everybody was working out in their garage. Do you remember that? Um, or on the, uh, the driveway or in your neighborhood somewhere. I'm, I say everybody. Some of us were. <laughs> um, but the problem with that is that uh, you couldn't really opt out of the workout. If your neighbor said, hey, we're going to work out, what, I mean, can you say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy? You know, what, what else am I going to be doing during that? So, no, we couldn't say we're busy. We couldn't really opt out of that. Um, I do uh, CrossFit and I mean, maybe you can look. I need to do it. Um, I do it so I can eat. That's, that's the whole point of CrossFit is so you can eat, and um, at least for me. So I, I, have, I did find out, though, I was like, man, I'm working out. I'm working out. Nothing's happening. I feel like uh, maybe, maybe I can run, a, a, you know, a 400, you know, a few seconds faster or something. I don't know, but um, I, nothing was happening. So I, I met with um, our CrossFit coach, and he developed this whole plan for me. And he said, okay, now we're going to talk about what you eat. And I was like, I don't want to talk about what I eat <laughs> because what I eat I know is not good. That's why I'm here talking to you. Um, so he said, let's talk about what did you eat yesterday. Mm, yesterday's not a good day. <laughs> Can we pick a different day? Um, so I had a Cinnabon yesterday morning for breakfast. Oh, oh you did? Yeah. Was, were you driving by it? No. Uh, no, I didn't. I went out of my way, <laughs> drove to the Cinnabon, had one of those. Some of you guys can uh, witness to that. Uh, anyway, so I'm glad that we're kind of past all of the, uh, as much of a quarantine. We still try to be safe. That's why for us, we had a service last night, a service today. Uh, we've done things a little bit um, different this year, but we are praying that people can, um, we can get back to normal soon. Um, I was, I have friends, in, and we live in an area where there's a lot of rural mixed with urban. Have you noticed? Um, you drive down and you see some horses, and then there's a Target. I don't know many other places in the country that we can do that. Um, we try to drive past the Target really quickly if we're all together, my wife and I. Um, so I'll say, hey, look at the horses, and we drive by. 
<laughs> so she'll miss it. Uh, I have friends that have sheep. Anybody have friends that raise sheep? Is that a thing? Yeah, some of you do. Um, sheep. Sheep are interesting animals. Uh, I was at my friend's house not too long ago and was looking at a sheep. And interesting, they keep a donkey to protect the sheep. Did you know that? They have a donkey out there. And I was like, so the donkey's your guard dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, the donkey's my guard dog. Well, I mean, you do you. That's fine. Um, apparently, that's a thing. So looking at the sheep, and we're uh, looking at the different ones, and some of them, are, you know, the sheep are kind of cool looking, and they're running around, and um, they're easy to scare. But um, don't ask me how I know, but I know. So the sheep, they were uh, running around, and I said, oh, that's a nice-looking sheep. He goes, oh, you got a good eye. That's, that's our best sheep. That's the best one we have. In fact, uh, that is our Passover sacrifice for next week. I'm just joking. That didn't happen. <laughs> you guys are like, what kind of weird friends do you have? <laughs> uh, no, really, we don't think about that, is my point, right? I mean, when was the last time you killed a bird and you put it on an offering, uh, on an a, a altar for good luck? Have you done that recently? Or when was the last time you took the blood of a bull and sprinkled it on yourself, you know, so that uh, it might rain? I don't think that's happened. If it has happened, we have counselors after the service. Please see one of them. <laughs> this is not something that we... We do. These aren't regular occurrences in our world. So when we begin to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't ring as, as true or as deep as it probably did once upon a time. So what I want to do to set this up today is um, help us understand or, or dig in a little bit to how the ancients, uh, the ancient Hebrew, the ancient people, not just the, the Israelites or the Hebrews, but all of the ancients, how did they view offering and sacrifice? Uh, one time, Sreese and I had the very fortunate opportunity to uh, visit some Mayan ruins. Uh, in fact, it was our anniversary. We always try to do something special for our anniversary. We went on a cruise, one of my very favorite things in the world to do, going on a cruise. Um, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. For some people, it's maybe not good, but um, it's awesome for me. So we went on this cruise. We went to a play, uh, Mexico, a stop, and we were able to go see these Mayan ruins, and they were awesome. The you know, the, they were like a full village that was there, and we got to walk around it and see all the things, and uh, the little pyramid that they had there. It was really cool to see these Mayan ruins, and the, the um, tour guide began to tell us about the civilization that had existed in this particular spot, and they said that one of their customs was um, when it hadn't rained for a while, they would sacrifice a person, hoping for more rain and they would wait for a time and if it didn't rain they would sacrifice another person and they would wait for a time and if it didn't rain again you guessed it they sacrificed another and this went on and on until finally it did rain um, so you know they were actually hoping for rain quite a bit because people didn't want to get uh, killed they, they also interesting they played a game it was I, I have a hard time relating what this game that they played was like. Um, if you know any of you who have seen anything about Harry Potter, they, they play this game called Quidditch, and some of you know that, right? And they, they're, they're like throwing the ball through the, the thing and whatever all that is. Now, they played a game that was actually similar to that. They had a hole in, in the stone at the end of, it, it was like a cross between Quidditch and soccer. So they had a ball that they would kick, and they had to get it in the hole um, to score their goal. And uh, it was very, if you won, it was awesome, like you were remembered, memorialized, and sacrificed, the winners. Um, I can't imagine why they would play that game, but that is the game they played. 
Listen, there are entire civilizations that have been developed around pleasing the gods. Um, If you've read anything about history, know anything about that, you know that's true. In Hebrews 9, the author of Hebrews uh, teaches us that Jesus is the last sacrifice you would ever need. Now for us, we've heard that our whole lives probably. We've been around, especially growing up in the United States, especially in Texas. We just, we hear about Jesus and we hear about the sacrifice and we hear about those things. But it doesn't impact us the way it did them because if they're used to having a drink uh, offering and a, a, a um, you know, a fee, a, a, I can't even speak today, I apologize, a, a different offering for their uh, crop, you know, the harvest, and, and different offering for rain, and a sacrifice for sin, and they had all of these sacrifices and all of these offerings that were required, and then somebody comes along and says, hey, you know what, that's over. You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is the last sacrifice that you will ever need. He's enough. Uh, And and imagine how that would change your psyche because now you don't have to wonder if you paid your debt good enough. Was your sacrifice clean enough? Had you lived since the last sacrifice good enough? Was a dove enough? Or did this time you need to sacrifice a lamb or a sheep? Somebody came along and wrecked their psyche, just changed everything about them. We talk in our society about having a paradigm shift, about changing the way that we see the world because we all have a lens that we look at the world through. And that's the way they looked at it. But then Jesus came and all of a sudden that changed entirely for them. And so that was their struggle. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to understand. Can you imagine the psychological impact of that? So I want to talk about two things today. Really, it's, it's awesome, right? Just a two-point message. It's not going to be long. We'll be out of here before you know it. Um, then you all can get to your lamb chops for lunch. Nobody? Okay. All right. <laughs> now, somebody here has got to be doing a prime rib roast, right? Let's, okay, let's not talk about food. We're going to get hungry. All right, I want to talk about two things. First, uh, what happened at the cross. That's, I want to talk first about what happened at the cross. We know that it was the end of the sacrificial system. That, that is evident. That's something that we all know that we can agree on. But what else happened at the cross? So I want to go through several things and try to help us see what those are. First is reconciliation. And I have, a, I have a place I'm going with this. Okay, so there's really two parts today. Stay up with me on this part, and then the second part is going to make sense. If you go to sleep now and you wake up in the second part, you're going to be going, I don't know. Now I've got to listen to the podcast. In Colossians, Paul says that through the ages, this is how he, wrote, he words it, God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When two people have something between them, um, I, had, I, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years and my pastor would talk about odds between people. Is it an ought or an odd? I don't know, an ought. He would say, um, those two people have an odd between them. He was from Ohio. Uh, I got my Ohio people over here, I know. So uh, he would, I don't know if that's an Ohio thing or what, but uh, he would say, it's two people have an odd between them. Uh, they have a, something wrong in their relationship. They have a, a difference of opinion. They have an argument. They can't get along. 
right? You guys understand that? That's happened to all of us. Um, when we restore that relationship, we have been reconciled to each other. So Paul takes what they would have experienced, something that they had known in relationships, and he says that that's what happened on the cross. God made peace with all things. In other words, we have all been reconciled to God. Sin had destroyed that relationship between us and him, and so he reconciled us to him by the blood through Jesus. Right? So, that, so that's, that's what happened. Then in Romans 3, Paul uses a legal term. He says, and you can look Romans 3 and then again in Romans 5. Uh, by the way, as I'm going through this, if you want to follow along in the, the notes, the message notes, and some of these scriptures are going to be in there, um, you can download the church app and, and all the notes are in there. Uh, in Romans 3 and 5, he says that we have been justified through faith. Now you guys have probably heard that before. Justified through faith. So justified then is a legal term. It's something that you would hear in a, a court of law used by a judge in reference to guilt and punishment. So if we think of the world in terms of a courtroom, then we are guilty standing in front of God. We stand in front of Him guilty, and the only way that we can have that restored is by being justified in front of Him. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because what Jesus did on the cross, He died on the cross, He paid our debt, the punishment has been paid, so now we have been justified, does it make sense? We have been justified to God. So we begin to see there's quite a few different ways to talk about this. There's um, reconciliation, there's justification, but there's more. In 2 Timothy 1.10, Paul says, It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has destroyed death, right? And then in 1 John 5.4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Now these are battle terms. These are terms that you would use in, in war, in battle. And if you go back to, when we use battle terms, we uh, maybe wouldn't use these particular English terms, but the connotation in the original Greek was uh, battle terms. This is what a general or a commander of an army, or they would have used these words particularly to talk about conquering an enemy. So these texts are saying then that Jesus has won the battle, and I, this is one of my favorite ones because I like to think of Jesus in terms of a conquering commander. In fact, I, I feel like whenever I was, um, if I would have been alive and, and a Jew, there would be a lot of things that would have to happen, but, and I would have been following Jesus when he was there and he was in person and he was leading them, I would have been one of the ones saying, Jesus, let's take up some arms, man. Let's go and free our people because I like that idea. So this is written for people like me that want to see something be conquered and be taken care of. So Jesus has won the battle against evil. It has been conquered. So now we begin to ask, so, so which is it? Is it that he was the last sacrifice or that he is reconciling all things or that the price is paid to set free guilty sinners or is it a battle won? Then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. So what about redemption? Redemption is a word from the world of business and finance. If 
if you take a, um, a finance course, then this is one of the words that you would cover, especially in the time of the Greeks. To redeem something is to give it worth again. Does that make sense? To redeem it is to give it worth again. So it's like uh, when we are redeemed, God is buying us back. So sin has set us on this path to destruction. And when I say destruction, I mean destruction now and destruction when, when we leave this earth because we don't get to be with him. So we're on this path of destruction, but Jesus, by his death on the cross, is buying us back. He is giving us worth. Now this is very important, especially if you have kids. Help them understand that Jesus has redeemed them, that he has given them worth, that their worth is not found in what people say about them and what their friends think about them and what the cool things of, uh, to wear are or the cool phone to have is or you name it. That's not where our worth is derived. Our worth is derived because Jesus has redeemed us. Man, that strikes me deep. You're going to have to listen to the podcast and then you're going to hear it again. All right. When we're, when we're redeemed, God's buying us back. So I'm not trying to confuse you. I just, as I study the scripture, I see all of these things and I'm thinking, Jesus, what is, what is it that happened at the cross then? Is it that it was the end of the sacrificial system? Or is it that broken relationships have been reconciled? Or is it that the guilty defendant has been set free? Or is it that the battle has been won? Or is it that we are being redeemed, something lost has been redeemed? Which is the right perspective? If this were a multiple choice test, there would be another answer, all of the above. And that's the answer. It is all of the above. You see, for the first Christians, something massive and world-changing, paradigm-shifting. I I don't know, I, I can't think of adjectives enough to describe for the first Christians what had happened for them. I mean, imagine the way they lived their life, following the rules, doing sacrifice, giving offerings. Um, Had they followed the rules close enough? Had they done the right offering? Uh, Had they made the right sacrifice? All of the things. Were they eating the right food? All of that was wiped away in an instant when Jesus died on the cross. So for the first Christians, it, it, something massive and world-changing had happened. And, and so they began to set out a way to effectively communicate all of these things to people. And what they did was they, they took these things, they looked at the world around them at examples and pictures and experiences and metaphors and tried to figure out a way, how can I explain to you what has happened here? And so to different people, they talked in different ways. If you were in business or finance, and they talked to you about being redeemed. If you were in the military or police or that line of work, they would talk to you about um, battles being won. If you were in uh, court or legal, they would talk to you about justification. Like all of these things, they, they were trying to figure out the way to communicate effectively the gospel of Christ to the people around them. And this is what it came down to. What happened at the cross is like a defendant going free. What happened at the cross is like a relationship being reconciled. It's it's like something that was lost being redeemed. What happened at the cross is like a battle being won. What happened at the cross is like a final sacrifice 
being offered. For the first thousand years or so of the church, these metaphors, these, these, this way of speaking, it worked great because they were still relatively close to the cross and society would understand these terms. Today in the church, and we have to be careful for those that, that follow Jesus, we can't, we use the same terms that they did so long ago. And it's not that they're invalid, it's that they don't communicate as effectively what once they did. So what these first Christians did, what the, these first authors did, was brilliant. It was amazing. They, they were reading their world. They were looking for ways to communicate this epic event to the people around them. So what I want to tell you today is we shouldn't focus on the metaphors. That's not what's important here. What's important here is Jesus. What's important here is then and now is that it's all about Jesus. The divine in flesh and blood. God became human. Jesus is where the life is. So now we need to think about, we, we understand all of these words, and we, we can talk to somebody about being justified, and that's okay. We can talk to somebody about being redeemed, and that's fine. We can talk to somebody about the battle being won. All these things don't necessarily make sense to people who don't understand. Uh, understand what I'm saying. I love it. But I've been around it a long time now. And when you are around something for a long time, you don't communicate as effectively with those outside of that bubble as you used to. So boil it down. What is it that Jesus did? Jesus gave life, ultimately. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, God who set his divinity aside and became human. It's where life begins. And I, so I think, okay, now we, can, now we got something. It's where life, we all want life, right? People are looking for it. They pay money to go get it. They, all kinds of things. I mean, I still want to, I haven't ever done it. I, I, I want to go skydiving. Anybody in here ever done that? Okay, I got a couple. Let's go together because I love the idea of skydiving. But lots of people do that right now for some people they're looking for life they want to feel alive this is awesome this is amazing at the cross is where life began so i'd like to turn our attention then this is the second point to what sunday is all about and we're celebrating easter today we celebrate the resurrection but every sunday you know they used to have church on saturday that was the original Sabbath. But what happened on the cross was such a big deal that they decided to celebrate Jesus' resurrection every Sunday. So we all know that after Friday, Sundays are coming, right? So if you can hang with me for a few minutes, this is another piece of the puzzle. We're going to have to put all this together. I have a specific direction I, I want to take. Don't turn me off for just a few moments. Ten minutes. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do this in ten minutes. Okay. Death and life is not a new concept. We're going to go deep for a minute. We understand that. Death and life is part of the fabric of the world. 
It's not anything new. There were lots of people crucified in Jesus' day. We think about his, being, his crucifixion all the time, and we celebrate it not because he was crucified, but because he died on the cross for our sins, right? But that was nothing new for the time. In fact, lots of people have been crucified. The thing that, so it wasn't him being crucified that lit all the Christians up. It wasn't him being crucified that made them all say, hey, I want to die the same way. That's not what did it. What did it, what really put a pep in the step of the early Christians, what really lit their fire was that Jesus' death was not his last word. The fuel that propelled them was the followers' insistence that Jesus had been experienced after he died in the form of a living man. What really excited them was Jesus was raised from the dead. And listen, don't just take my word for it. Did you know that over 500 people experienced Jesus? I witnessed to him after he was resurrected. In fact, and, and we talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning, if, if we were in a court of law and you had 500 eyewitnesses to any crime, that person is in trouble, right? Right? But for some reason, 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, we struggle with. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make sense, but Jesus doesn't make sense. He also is somebody who stirs us up. All right, these encounters that they had with Jesus led them to believe that something massive and earth-shattering, something that had implications for the entire world had happened. And they were right. So to help us grasp why these claims are so important, I want to take a step even a little deeper and say life after death isn't a new idea. We know that, right? Lazarus was raised to life. But even, let's go, not humans. In the first, I mean, uh, in, in the fall, leaves die, right? They fall off the tree. And then in the spring, it comes back. Things in the fall turn dormant, and then they come back to life in the spring. Unless the deep freeze got them. Then it's trouble. We lost a palm tree. Poor palm tree. So irritating, you know. We even wrapped it in a blanket. Who wraps a tree in a blanket? We were trying to save the dumb thing. For nature to spring to life, it has to die. First death, then resurrection. This is true for ecosystems, for food chains, for uh, seasons, for everything in life. Death gives way to life. A seed has to be buried in the ground before it's going to grow up, right? Everything that you did eat or will eat today is dead, I, I hope. If it's not, again, counselors will be available. Death and life. The mystery of this process is hard to know, but it's, it's woven into the very fabric of creation. It happens. Death is the engine of life in the relational world. Remember back to 9-11. Some of you are too young to remember, but I can remember waking up on that, that morning and, and the first plane had already hit the first uh, World Trade Center. And then... I was watching the news, and I remember I told Teresa, they don't understand that they can't just fly a plane into the building and it's going to fall. 
And then here comes a second plane. I, I couldn't believe it, second plane. And then here go all the firefighters and the first responders running into the building. The stories that we heard after moved us. The firefighters and, and the first responders and the policemen and those that gave their life for others. How many hundreds, maybe thousands of people saved because of them? Like we're, we're moved about that. We, we talk about how inspiring their sacrifice is. So that's not a new concept either. People give their life for, for somebody else. Somebody will die so somebody else can live. So they understood that when Jesus died, that was awesome. He died, and so that was massive in itself. He sacrificed himself for us. How amazing. But when he was resurrected, that changed the game. So this is, this is entirely different than somebody just sacrificing themselves for us. He was resurrected, and that, that changed everything. The second thing is that these first Christians understood the cross and resurrection to be an event that extended to all of creation. Here's an example from the Gospel of John. Do you remember how Jesus turned water into wine? You guys remember that? And John says this was his first miracle. You remember? And then, a little later, Jesus heals the official's son. And John calls that, if you remember, his second miracle. So now we begin to wonder, why, why is John numbering the miracles? What does that matter? It gets interesting. On a, on a side note, if you, if you read, as I've read through the scripture, I, I've just gained so much respect for the authors of the Bible because they, they employ complex patterns of, of writing that is like one layer on top of another layer on top of another layer of depth of the Christian faith. It's super interesting, and I love doing that. So as I'm reading through this, I'm like, okay, so we got the first sign and the second sign. So if we read on, we see that Jesus heals a man by the pool. Remember that? The third sign. And then in John chapter 6, he feeds the crowd and then walks on water. Now we have signs 4 and 5. And then in chapter 9, he heals a blind man. Sign 6. Finally, in chapter 11, he raises a blind man from the dead. Sign number seven. So we have seven miracles in the book of John, right? And we know seven. There's so many things about seven. Seven is the perfect number. Seven is the number of days in a week. So what's John telling us? There's one more miracle, and we're celebrating it today. The eighth sign, the first day of a new week, right? The first day of a new creation, the resurrection of Jesus, I propose, inaugurates a new thing that's happening. Jesus did so many things to fulfill the scripture. And so many ways did he change the way people viewed the world even. So it would make sense that he completes the first week, and then he inaugurates something entirely new. 
It's a new creation, one that's free from death, one that's bursting forth from the tomb. The tomb is empty. It's a new day that's here. It's a new creation. Everything has changed. Death has been conquered. The old has gone. The new has been come. Uh, has come. You can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. When we say that Jesus came to die on the cross so that we could be uh, free from sin and have a relationship with him, that's true. But that minimizes the gospel. That shrinks this message. What Jesus did is so much more massive than that. He didn't only die so you can have a relationship. He did. He died to inaugurate something so new and and massive and and bigger and more grand than we can imagine. We as, as humans have a tendency to take everything about our world and make it about us. And I've said before that Jesus, um, there's a, a, a play that's going on in our life, if you want to relate it to this. And I've said this before. It's a drama that's happening. In my case, sometimes it's a comedy. But we all want to be the, the star of our own play. When really we are all just participating in God's production Right, And if we can take ourselves out of it and understand that it's not only that, that we get to have a relationship with Him, it's not only that we were saved so we can spend eternity with Him, those are awesome things, but that's not it. He came to inaugurate a new creation. We run the risk of shrinking the gospel whenever the gospel is so much bigger than we give it credit for. Read Colossians 1, 18-20. Out of the message, I love the way the message version says this. From beginning to end, He's there. Hovering far above everything, everyone, so spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated peoples of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Atoms find their place because of Jesus' death on the cross. Isn't that awesome? His blood shed. Everything finds its purpose. God started a movement in Jesus' resurrection to renew, restore, and reconcile everything on earth to heaven. He says it like this over and over and over. He says, let me tell you the good news about, you guys remember? Jesus says it all the time, the kingdom of God. Let me tell you the good news about the, the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you the good news. And the good news is so much more than he died on the cross so we can be forgiven for our sins and have a relationship with him. The good news is we can be, uh, he died on the cross so our sins can be forgiven so we can have relationship with him and live in this kingdom that he came to create, this kingdom that we have come to know as the kingdom of God, this place where the poor and the marginalized are welcomed in, the place where the hungry have uh, food, the place where um, things happen with God's approval and delight. Like, that's the place that Jesus came to create and inaugurate, and he's asking us, to, as people who believe in Jesus, to take that with us. And if somebody meets us and they don't feel the kingdom of God, then we have not done our part. And if that's the case, that's because we have shrunk that thing to mean, well, I'm, I'm good. Do you want to be good? You want to be good? Let me tell you how to get to heaven. Because that's not what Jesus said ever. He never said, let me tell you how you can get to heaven. He said, let me tell you the good news about this kingdom. 
This kingdom that's amazing. And he even said like this. He said, when you pray, how should we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let what happens up there happen down here. Let it happen in my life so that I can take it with me everywhere I go so that everybody I meet can experience your love because I'm taking that with me. And when somebody meets me, they don't have to worry about if they have a seat at my table because they do. They don't have to worry about if they smell funny that I'm going to kick them out. They don't have to worry about if we don't match up socioeconomically, there is no socioeconomic status in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to do. So we have to be careful to not shrink that gospel to mean only that I get relationship, which is true. Or only that I get to go to heaven, which is true. But also that everywhere I go, I'm taking heaven with me. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. It is for only me. And it is for only you. And it is for only all of us. So don't take the only me part and stop there. Told you 10 minutes. If we're to sum up the message of Easter... It's so much more than the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His death and his resurrection started something new. His death and resurrection were the end of one thing and the beginning of another. One where he is our source. He is our strength. He is our example He is our assurance. Jesus takes death and life and he makes something entirely new, teaching us that the fabric of death and life is woven into who we are. So the other thing is when we die, that's not the end of us. It shouldn't be. It's the continuing of us with Him. Uh, it's a whole other thing. This is so beautiful, the way that people, the ancient Israelites, understand or understood death. For them, it wasn't the end of one thing. The, they, the way they perceived it was they, they likened it to stepping through a veil. On this side is, is physical life. And on this side is spiritual life. And, and Jesus embodied that because even Jesus, remember when he came back, we know that it's something new, it's something different. He came back and his body was different. He was, he was a different person, but the same. Like he was still human in a glorified body. What does that mean? You remember whenever Doubting Thomas, everybody remembers Doubting Thomas, that they were in a room and Thomas was like, I don't believe it unless I see him and I stick my fingers in the wounds and I see and... And then all of a sudden, ta-da, Jesus is there, and everybody gets scared. Remember, freaked out, because they have the doors locked. Like, nobody's coming in here, but then Jesus is there. So he has a body that apparently can walk through walls. At the very least, can disappear and reappear. We also know the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize him for a while. But he was walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. So he was alive, but different, which is what's going to happen to us someday. We're going to get that glorified body that we should have had before Adam and Eve sinned. It's a lot of words. 
for me to say this. You can see how Jesus' death and then resurrection started something new. Paul says that without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness for sin. So it's not only his sacrifice, but for us, he didn't just give his life for us. He was raised again to begin a a new thing. And he's inviting all of us to be a part of this new thing. So let's not turn it into something small. It's not only about my relationship. It's not only about me going to heaven. It's about me inviting people to join me in this journey. It's about me, everywhere I go, people understanding that there's something different about me. And it's not because of me. It's because of what's inside of me, who's inside of me. And that's Jesus. We're going to close with a song here in just a moment, but before we do, I'm just going to ask you guys to pray with me. Closing on this Easter Sunday. And if somebody's here today, or if you're watching online and you are thinking, you know, I just I want Jesus to do in me what he's done in you. Super simple. We just acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, ask him to forgive us, and then we step into that new life. And Jesus, we promise that with your help, by the help of your Spirit, we can continue to live for you the rest of our lives. Jesus says, lose your life and find it. So today, that's what he's calling us to do. Will we lose our life to ourselves and find it in him? God, this morning, I just ask for every person that's here, every person that's watching online, would you help us to lose our life so that we can find it? Would you help us to confess Jesus Christ, to understand that giving all to him is not him taking anything away but we get to step into a whole new way of being we get to be a part of this new creation fill us with your love I pray Jesus man you're awesome we celebrate you today thank you for being raised from the dead so that we can join you in a new creation Jesus' name I pray. Amen.